Hi, this is Ben Thompson, the author and founder of Stratechery. Welcome to the Stratechery Daily Update podcast, where I read you the daily update. You can also read the text of the daily update or find the links I reference by visiting the show notes in your podcast player. Now, here's today's daily update. This daily update about working from home with kids, what about pay TV, an NBA proposal, was published on Monday, March 16th, 2020. Good morning. I am wholly unqualified to comment on this draft paper from Thomas R. Broker, PhD from Stanford, James M. Todaro, MD from Columbia, and Gregory G. Regano, Esquire, written in consultation with the Stanford University School of Medicine, UAB School of Medicine, and National Academy of Sciences researchers, suggesting that chloroquine may be an effective treatment for coronavirus, COVID-19. However, there is increasing anecdotal evidence from multiple countries that this is true, including this paper recommending the closely related hydroxychloroquine, and the authors did request that this paper be disseminated to the medical and scientific communities. To the extent those communities reach a trajectory, I wanted to do that. On to the update. Working from home with kids. This is a bit far off from normal trajectory fare, but given that I have lots of experience working from home, and more pertinently given the current situation, working from home with kids, I thought I would share some tips for those of you that, yes, are fortunate to have the ability to work from home, but also, yes, have no idea what you are in for. What prompted this was some well-meaning discussion on Twitter about all of these aspirational activities you can do with your kids to really expand their horizons and give them ways to practically learn important skills. It sounds great, but let me be completely honest with you. It's not going to happen, and that's okay. Working from home with kids is incredibly difficult, and your top priority should be making it through the next few months without any lasting emotional scars. And that applies to not just kids, but parents, too. In fact, that is principle number one. Just survive, and don't beat yourself up for not winning Parent of the Year in the meantime. I would go further. There is a powerful opportunity for children to, one, see their parents working hard, two, gain an increased level of self-agency and responsibility, and three, relate to each other and their parents in a way that will do much more to prepare them for adult life than any amount of parent-directed activities ever would. And yes, adult life does include some amount of screen time. Here are some specifics that worked for us. First, keep a morning routine. Wake up at the same time, make breakfast at the same time, get dressed at the same time, etc. This is actually really important in general for anyone that works from home, but is also important for reminding your kids that this isn't a normal weekend day. Two, if your kids have organized school activities, my elementary school-age son had a series of assignments and worksheets guided by videos prepared by his teachers. My middle school-age daughter had actual class periods conducted over Zoom. Do those first and or in their specified time slots. The key, though, is to help the kids figure out how their system works, and after that, make it clear they are responsible for finishing their assignments on their own and bearing the consequences if they don't do their work or do it poorly. You want to get out of the business of helping them do everything as soon as possible, which will accrue to their long-term benefit and your short-term benefit. Third, my daughter ended up being occupied with school activities for most of the day, but my son's afternoons were wide open. This is the deal we made. Every hour spent reading books was worth an hour of screen time. Practically speaking, he would read for two to three hours every afternoon, then play video games for an hour or two. I personally prefer video games to watching TV, as I think it engages more of your brain, but don't beat yourself up for either choice. At some point, you need a few hours of not being interrupted to get work done, and screens work. This situation won't last forever. Fourth, make sure you have some sort of physical activity. I usually went out after lunch and kicked a soccer ball or played catch with my son, 
and got my daughter to do 20-minute Peloton rides. It's not just healthy. It also ensures they fall asleep at a decent hour, which even with these tips is when I got most of my writing done. Having a dog also helps. Both kids had to take it for walks. Fifth, if you are fortunate to have two parents, work in shifts. In our case, I was responsible for the kids until lunchtime and my wife for the afternoon and dinner. Two hours on and two hours off could outwork too. This is not only important for actually getting work done, but also for scheduling calls and meetings. Put the shifts in your work calendar and do your best to hold on to them. This last point is why this advice is important for everyone to read. Those of you without kids really need to help out. You have no idea how challenging these next few weeks or months are going to be for your coworkers, and a little patience and flexibility will do a lot to lessen the burden on parents that are absolutely going to be overwhelmed. And again, all of us that can afford to work this way are absolutely privileged. Take care of those that cannot as well. What about paid TV? It already seems like months ago, but in fact, I haven't written a full daily update since the NBA suspended its season on Wednesday, followed by most of the other major sports, including the complete cancellation of the NCAA men's and women's basketball tournaments, on Thursday. While this was certainly the right thing to do, for now, more below, the impact on the pay TV ecosystem could be massive. From the Wall Street Journal. Sports TV networks are facing a big problem. They have virtually no games to put on the air. In quick succession over the past 24 hours, the National Basketball Association, National Hockey League, and Major League Baseball announced they were suspending operations due to concerns about the coronavirus pandemic, and the NCAA canceled its men's and women's basketball tournaments. Now, their broadcast partners could face significant fallout. The networks that carry NBA games will take a substantial hit to advertising revenue and could potentially be on the hook for big rights fees payments, according to analysts and people familiar with sports rights deals. Walt Disney Co.'s ESPN and AT&T Inc.'s Turner, the parent of TNT, together spend about $2.7 billion annually to show NBA games nationally. In addition, regional sports networks owned by media giants such as Comcast Corp. and Sinclair Broadcast Group Incorporated, among others, air NBA games in local markets. In the last NBA season, TV networks brought in nearly $600 million in ad revenue from NBA games and $972 million from the playoffs, according to research firm Kantar. Advertising is going to be a disaster broadly. Even if the NBA managed to air games, the country will almost certainly be in a recession defined by the complete absence of demand. What has to be far more concerning to the pay TV ecosystem, though, is the rest of the value generated by the NBA specifically in sports generally. Notice that the NBA brings in about $1.5 billion in advertising, yet ESPN and TNT pay $2.7 billion for the rights. The rest of the value and profit comes from carriage fees. In the case of Disney, last year the company's media networks division earned $24.8 billion in revenue and $7.5 billion in profit. Only $7.0 billion of that revenue was advertising. $13.4 billion came from affiliate fees. The remaining $4.4 billion came from selling shows to other networks or streaming services, including Netflix. This is why it was the cable channels specifically that were the primary profit drivers. $5.4 billion in profit for cable networks versus $1.4 billion in profit for broadcast networks. As I've discussed multiple times, the number one reason for these revenues and profits is live sports. Way back in 2013, I wrote in The Jobs TV Does. Some of the jobs TV has traditionally done include... 1. Keep us informed. 2. Educate. 3. Give a live view of sporting events. 4. Enlighten and storytell. 5. 
provide escapism. For decades, TV was better at each of these jobs than anything else in consumers' lives. It was in this period of superiority that the present economic system of pay TV was developed. And, in a world where so many jobs were done by one device, any price was a great deal. It's in jobs to be done, however, where the unbundling that matters is happening. I described how everything but live sports had been unbundled in 2017's The Great Unbundling. Although that article should have emphasized Netflix's role in escapism more than it did, but then suggested that live sports remained a powerful pillar for the pay TV bundle. The truth, though, is that in the long run, ESPN remains the most stable part of the cable bundle. It is the only TV job that, thanks to its investment in long-term rights deals, is not going anywhere. Indeed, what may ultimately happen is not that ESPN leaves the bundle to go over the top, but that a cable subscription becomes a de facto sports subscription with ESPN at the center garnering massive carriage fees from a significantly reduced cable base. And frankly, that may not be too bad of an outcome. Not going anywhere. Until, of course, it all did, all at once. Indeed, it was only seven days ago that the PGA Tour signed a new TV deal that included a 75% increase in rights fees. Now sports are gone and the pay TV industry is looking at an impending recession where consumers may be looking to cut their bills and have pay TV on top of their list. It is not all doom and gloom. More people at home means more time to watch TV, which may increase its perceived value, including live news. And pay TV is usually bundled with internet access, which is essential. And, of course, sports will come back. On the flip side, though, being at home may only emphasize how much better streaming is for most types of content. ISPs are increasingly willing to unbundle pay TV, and most importantly, it is much harder to reacquire customers than to stop them from churning in the first place. For the record, I am going to stick with my prediction that the pay TV bundle devolves into the sports bundle, and that the major sports do not go over the top, at least for their best games. Even in that case, though, the current situation may accelerate that shift. There is probably significant overlap between people who will balk at paying, say, $50 a month for primarily sports, and those who are likely to churn in a recession and never return. An NBA proposal. Another good piece from Tyler Cowen in Bloomberg. First, the NBA postponed its season with no immediate resumption in sight, and then March Madness was canceled. Broadway has been shuttered, along with other public entertainments across the country, Disneyland included. These are prudent if belated steps. Nonetheless, a question arises. If every empire needs bread and circuses, where will Americans turn for the latter? Which public spectacles will keep us all distracted? With COVID-19, the goal is to keep people at home, at least if they are not essential workers. But if staying at home is too boring, cabin fever will take over and people will run out to social gatherings when they ought to be staying put. So solving the entertainment problem is one very real piece of the puzzle for minimizing the effects of the coronavirus and keeping Americans not just in good spirits, but healthy. Cowan has a number of ideas, but I thought this bit about the NBA was worth highlighting. Or how about proceeding with some version of the NBA Finals? Take a subset of the best qualifying teams, test every player for coronavirus, isolate them in a remote area with a college gymnasium and have them proceed with a shortened version of the real thing in front of only a TV crew. With so many other public events closed down, television viewership would probably reach an all-time high and the sense of drama would be incredible. It would be one NBA Finals we would never forget and the quality of play would respond to the very high psychological stakes. 
Ben Dolliver at the Washington Post reported that something like this was under consideration, although Adrian Wojnarowski reported it could take up to three months to implement. Count me in strong favor of a plan along these lines, and sooner rather than later. This, to be clear, is not simply because my bucks are contenders. First, I agree with Colin it would be good for the country as a whole. Second, it would be a huge win for ESPN and TNT specifically, and pay TV broadly, for the reasons I just described. Three, the biggest win would be for the NBA, which would likely draw historically great ratings, giving it the opportunity to dramatically expand its fan base in the U.S. in particular. Obviously, safety needs to be of the highest concern. It helps, though, that these are professionals with very real money on the line. The amount of money players can earn going forward is based on how much money the league earns. It is reasonable for teams to ask players to quarantine themselves, and there is a real motivation for the players to agree. And hey, it would be a great way to unwind after a day stuck at home with the kids. The Daily Update is intended for a single recipient, but occasional forwarding is totally fine. If you'd like to order multiple subscriptions for your team with a group discount, please contact me directly. Thanks for being a subscriber, and have a great day.